the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. And a pleasant good afternoon to you. Welcome on board. It is the 19th day of December. And we are a scant, uh, what, uh, 24 days, five days away from Christmas here. Be here before you know it. We've got some great Christmas programming lined up for you. In fact, on Christmas Day, we're going to kind of break from the usual fare here on Lifeline and uh, present two solid hours of Christmas music for you between, thank you, between 5 and 7 p.m., with uh, the St. Olaf Orchestra and Choir and kind of kind of ease you in uh, maybe with your uh, family gathering for dinner that night or whatever your plans might be. Make it a point to uh, join us for Lifeline on Christmas Day at 5 o'clock. A little bit later on in tonight's program, I'm, I'm, I'm skipping back now, uh, we're going to be joined by best-selling author and China expert Stephen Mosher. We've been hearing a lot about North Korea in the news lately, and a lot of people would come to the conclusion that North Korea is a major problem. One of the countries that likes to promote that idea is not North Korea, but in fact is communist China. What's the agenda here? What's the real deal? We're going to find out. You're going to learn more about why China's dream is the new threat to world peace. Coming up later on in tonight's program. Have yourself a merry little Christmas, and wouldn't we all pray that the world's troubles would be out of sight? For some folks, though, here in the Bay Area, troubles are not out of sight. In fact, they are very close to home. In fact, in many cases, they involve home itself. For 35,000 men, women, boys and girls who do not have permanent housing here in the San Francisco Bay Area. This is not the most joyous time of year. In fact, as it gets colder and rain is in the forecast for tonight, it gets to be very unpleasant to the degree where it is even life-threatening. Making a difference is the Bay Area Rescue Mission, as they have done so since 1965, not only providing emergency shelter, but a long-term recovery program as well for those that are struggling with substance abuse. And during this time of the year, a critical lifeline, literally, to receiving emergency shelter and for many families living right on the edge where... There, quite frankly, isn't enough money to pay the electric bill, the heating bill. Have you seen your PG&E bill? Yeah, it's gone up, and it's going to continue to go up. If they have to make a choice between eating or keeping a roof over their head, you know the difficult decisions they have to make. Barrier Rescue Mission is doing something to make a difference in the lives of needy families across the Bay Area, and they are doing so this Friday. And joining me now is the Executive Director of the Bay Area Rescue Mission, Reverend John Anderson. And Reverend Anderson, give us a bit of an update, folks that are maybe not familiar with what the mission does annually this time of year, how exciting it is, and how critically important it is to so many of these families. Well, thanks so much, Craig, and a very Merry Christmas to you and everyone there at KFAX and our KFAX listeners. 
Boy, it was busy today at the Bay Area Rescue Mission. We had about 700 families that were in and out of our chapel throughout the day receiving boxes of hope. That was a 15, 16-pound turkey with all the trimmings to make Christmas meals for the near-homeless that are really living below the poverty level in our community that uh, they, they do have a home, they they rent an apartment, they rent an inexpensive house, and they have to make the decision, well, this month during Christmas, are we going to uh, pay the rent, pay the utilities, buy the medicine? Uh, and to be honest, there, there's really nothing left to buy a Christmas meal. So instead of having the macaroni and cheese or uh, I guess spam's a little too expensive these days, but uh, an alternative, uh, we've been blessed to be able to provide Christmas boxes of hope. Uh, about 700 people in our chapel today, and we also delivered, uh, our volunteers came in and started delivering another 100 boxes of hope to people who were shut in in our community, throughout the community. Wow. So in addition, of course, to meeting that very critical and important need here at Christmas time, there's another special thing that the mission does every year, and it'll be coming up this Friday. Give us more details about this annual Children's Christmas Party, and I think to put it in perspective, you can let our listeners know a bit about what God did last year. Of course. You know, I... I know it's a Christmas celebration for homeless and needy children, but I love to emphasize that it's a gospel Christmas celebration, because uh, we went to Civic Center Auditorium here in Richmond, California, and last year we had 1,869 children who otherwise would not have had any kind of Christmas. They come from families that are homeless, that are impoverished, that uh, really, if it wasn't for the compassion and generosity that God's people show through uh, donations to the Bay Area Rescue Mission, these kids would not have had any kind of Christmas to remember uh, last year at all. But the great thing was, it's not just bringing the kids in and giving them toys and presents. It's about really sharing the gospel. We have a member of the power team, John Pritikin, that comes in, he uh, bends rebar, breaks the cinder blocks, the bricks, does all these feats of strength, and then shares with the kids how Jesus came into his heart and life and made all the difference in his life, gives an invitation for the kids to accept Jesus as their Savior. My wife, Deborah, does the uh, version, uh, variation on the Child Evangelism Fellowship Woodless Book uh, presentation on... Uh, in, big scale uh, up on the stage and gives an invitation for the kids to accept Christ as their Savior. Last year, Craig, out of the 1,869 kids that were there, yes, they all got two or three presents. They received a gift card for a meal from Carl's Jr., and, uh, but most importantly, more than 800 of those kids accepted Jesus as their Savior at last year's program, and we're expecting just as many kids this year. And, of course, this is a, really a critical connection for so many of these families. You can make a difference. As you're thinking about last-minute holiday shopping, we're heading, of course, into the final weekend here 
just before Christmas, which of course will be um, a week from yesterday, be Monday. Why don't you think about standing with the Bay Area Rescue Mission in a couple of ways? Certainly prayerfully, we encourage you as well financially. But then too, John, you still need volunteers for Friday, do you not? We, we do. In fact, people can go online at the Bay Area Rescue Mission's website. That's bayarearescue.org. Click on the Get Involved uh, tab and sign up to volunteer for that great Christmas event this Friday, December 22nd, Richmond Civic Center Auditorium between the hours of 10.30 a.m. and 3.30 p.m. And uh, be part of that great celebration as the kids get uh, to celebrate Christmas and many of them get to receive the greatest gift of all. Absolutely. And again, for you to be involved, it's easy. Go to bayarearescue.org, click on the Get Involved tab. They do ask that volunteers register in advance. They need help this coming Friday. Maybe you're already taking some time off this week. Traffic a little bit lighter. I bet some of you are. If you're going to be in town, would like to help out, make a difference in the lives of young kids. What a great way for you to come with your family and volunteer, maybe your church group or men's group or um, gathering of folks from the office and spend a few hours helping out some needy kids this Christmas. I also want to urge you as you're thinking about your last-minute seasonal giving um, to give a gift to the Bay Area Rescue Mission. Providing these meals will be talked about, not only the boxes of hope, but all told during Christmas week, the Bay Area Rescue Mission will provide upwards of 25,000 meals, both to those receiving the boxes of hope and people coming through the doors of the mission during Christmas. Then, too, helping to offset some of the costs of purchasing toys for these kids. Almost 2,000 of them anticipated this coming Friday. And your financial gift, your tax-deductible gift can make a huge difference. If you want to donate, you can go to kfax.com. You'll find the Bay Area Rescue Mission banner at the top of the homepage. Just click on that, and you can give your gift securely online, kfax.com. And also through there, it'll lead you to the um, pages inside the website where you can get involved and volunteer for Friday. Our thanks to John Anderson, the executive director of the Bay Area Rescue Mission, for that update. Again, information on the web. Go to kfax.com and click on the Bay Area Rescue Mission banner at the top of the homepage. We're going to take a time out, get a bit of a traffic update here for you. We'll head over to the KFAX Traffic Center. Trent Chase has got a look at your Tuesday ride home. Trent? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. It was back in the early 2000s when then-President George Bush, number 43, identified what he called the Axis of Evil, which comprised of three countries, Iran, Iraq, and North Korea. Well, in the ensuing years, we've seen Iran neutralized, Iraq defeated, and North Korea, well, it's been proven, at least up until now, that North Korea can't be controlled. And that's largely because it's already being controlled by a neighbor of its, China. Ironically, in the recent saber-rattling over North Korea's nuclear weapons program, China has expressed their so-called grave concerns over ongoing nuclear testing, even as they have increased, in spite of sanctions, trade with North Korea by some 40%. Jinping, I suppose, thinks we're idiots. Or maybe we are. With some insights, we're joined by best-selling author, 
internationally recognized authority on China and population issues, Stephen Moser. Stephen has worked tirelessly since 1979 to fight China's coercive population control programs. He's the author of a number of best-selling books on the topic, including his latest, newly released by Regnery Press, entitled Bully of Asia, Why China's Dream is the New Threat to World Order. And Stephen, great to have you on the program. It's good to be here. So what about this notion that maybe as we are seeing certainly China mouth the words, we're gravely concerned over North Korea's nuclear weapons proliferation and testing programs, and at the same token, increasing their their um, trade program with uh, North Korea by some 40 percent during the same time that most of the world is engaged in a pretty vigorous um, set of restrictions over North Korea. You got to wonder, does James Ping think we're idiots, or does he know that we are? Well, the, the Chinese leadership thinks that Americans are very, very naive and, and foolish. And, of course, they, they've been playing us for fools for a long time. I mean, uh, just look back at the last 20 years, the biggest transfer of wealth, uh, forced transfer of wealth in human history. Trillions of dollars in wealth, trade, technology, intellectual property have gone across the Pacific and haven't come back. And we paid a price in closed factories and millions of workers in the unemployment lines and wage stagnation in the middle class. That's been going on for a long, long time. China's been committing economic hate crimes against the American people. Uh, and, of course, in Korea, uh, we hear a lot about North Korea, but people need to understand that North Korea wouldn't even exist if it weren't for China. I mean, China intervened in the Korean War to save the Kim Dynasty's half-kingdom. And he's been supporting, propping up that country ever since, the missiles. Uh, that are fired by Little Rocket Man, Kim Jong-un, the nuclear weapons that are set off are made uh, with using components from China. Uh, North Korea has no high-tech industry to speak of. All these things must be imported, and China is the biggest, uh, the biggest seller. Here's the utter irony, Stephen, that maybe you can shed some light on, particularly for those of us that are old enough in the audience to remember the Vietnam War, the Johnson administration, Kennedy, going back that far. The United States engaged in what I would say was a minimum of 50, maybe slightly longer than 50-year-long Cold War, principally targeted against communist Russia. And ironically, in the ensuing years, since the collapse of the Berlin Wall and the cessation of, of communism, at least as we knew it in, in Russia, though it may exist in, in other forms, it seems as if that we have given zero thought to the issue of proliferation of the so-called communist threat, not coming from Russia, but in this case coming from China. What is different here? Why, why did we perceive Russia to be such a threat, and yet China apparently not so, even though, well, let's face it, Russia had its satellite states, Hungary, Yugoslavia, Romania. China certainly has Vietnam and North Korea. It would seem to me that we ought to be as concerned today, if not more so, about the threat of communism through China than we were for over 50 years with the Soviet Union. What's different? What's changed? Well, we, we, we should be concerned. But, you know, America has had a long uh, history of, of trying to help China. It helped China during the, the last dynasty, the Manchu dynasty, sending over a thousand of missionaries setting up colleges and universities. And, of course, we played the China card back in the 1970s. That was Richard Nixon's ploy. Uh, and, of course, he came back from uh, playing the China card against the Soviet Union and said secretly to his uh, pals in the White House, I hope I haven't created a monster. Well, that monster is alive and growing, 
and devouring small countries along its periphery, claiming entire seas now. But for 25 years, uh, 30 years, we've been laboring under a delusion. And the delusion was that China's increasing opening to the West, combined with its increasing prosperity, would peacefully and painlessly result in its peaceful evolution away from one-party dictatorship, that it would lead to a more open political system. Uh, You know, the Chinese would start eating Big Macs, watching Hollywood movies, vacationing in Florida, and they would become just like us. Well, that hasn't happened. Uh, You know, the the Chinese dragon is not a cuddly kung fu panda. Uh, A rising China has proven to be, as it gets stronger, that proven to be more and more of a threat to its neighbors and to uh, the United States of America. Uh, that that should be obvious to everybody now. I think it is finally obvious to uh, to the man in the White House, and it's about time. Uh, you almost have to wonder, though, uh, too little, too late. Let's talk, for example, about the threat of North Korea. I have long been of the opinion that North Korea is not the problem. China is the problem. The North Korea is functioning as the Achilles heel of the United States, largely at the behest of China. Yeah, North Korea is a distraction. Uh, North Korea is uh, is what the, the Chinese use to fish in troubled water. That's a Chinese expression. Uh, you, you cause a distraction, and then you, you, you go about your business. While the world is looking at North Korea, China is making claims in the East China Sea. It's claiming the entire South China Sea. It's, it's building artificial islands and putting military bases on top of them. It's moving troops into Indian territory and in the Himalayas. It's expanding at all points of the compass. Meanwhile... We're mesmerized by this pretty little bobble over here, this ugly little toy, actually, of China's called North Korea. North Korea and China have a mutual defense treaty. That's all people need to know about the relationship. China is pledged to come to North Korea's defense if it's attacked. If China were serious about North Korea getting solving the problem, which it claims to be, it would end that treaty tomorrow. It won't do that. And there's a reason why it won't. I mean, it, it must enjoy the fact that it's kind of acting as uh, uh, China's lapdog. And while we're busy fretting over China, China gets to what? Use that as a smokescreen for other activities? Yeah, it's absolutely a smokescreen. Now, now people need to know that, that following the collapse of the Soviet Union, uh, the then leader of China, a man named Deng Xiaoping, uh, Deng Xiaoping turned to his Politburo comrades and he said, the first Cold War is over between the United States and the Soviet Union, and America won. He said the second Cold War is now begun between China and the United States, and China will win this one. And so he declared war on us in 1991, and China's been at war with us ever since, stealing our intellectual property, stealing factories, jobs, opposing us internationally, warring against us in cyberspace, um, I have to tell you that the, the national security study that was announced on Monday uh, finally describes, you know, 25 years too late, that China is a strategic competitor that has uh, forced technology transfers, distorted markets in a strategy cons- uh, consciously designed to strengthen China and weaken the United States. They want to be number one, and it's not in our interest to, to, to let them take our place as the uh, 
predominant power in the world. One of the points that you make in the book, and I'm going to have you um, elaborate on this when we come back after a timeout, and that is that some might foolishly think of this as sort of, well, a relatively recent phenomenon that has more to do with America taking advantage of China than the other way around. After all, we go there for cheap products, cheap goods, cheap labor, etc., etc., and all they've done is uh, take advantage of America's greediness. And yet, as you point out in the book, there's a history of China that even as they will tell you with great pride goes back over 5,000 years and a good percentage of those 5,000 years is a history of conquest. We'll talk about that as our look at Bully of Asia, why China's dream is the new threat to world order. Best-selling author and China expert Stephen Mosher with us today on this edition of Lifeline. 5.30, let's get you an update on traffic. Once again, Trent Chase has got the latest in the KFAX Traffic Center. Trent? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. This uh, news piece here, I think, um, ideally sets up our next segment as we continue our conversation with China expert, best-selling author Stephen Mosher, a look at his new book, Bully of Asia. Uh, Residents in Guam, of course, which is a territory of the United States, are now being exposed to a couple of new videos that have been produced by the Department of Guamanian Homeland Security explaining the nation's warning sirens, as Brian Shook explains. As in Hawaii, there is a signal to be used in the event of an imminent attack, which is different from a tsunami siren. One video from Guam's Homeland Security and Civil Defense advises people to gather some emergency supplies and develop an evacuation plan. The other explains that if the attack siren sounds, residents should get inside, stay inside, and stay informed. Authorities in the U.S. territory say the videos are not prompted by an imminent threat. However, North Korea has previously threatened to shoot missiles near to Guam. Brian Shook, NBC News Radio. Yeah, thank you, Brian. Near to or at. And part of this, of course, is we're kind of pulling back the layers of this onion um, that leads ultimately to China. Part of this is at the core part of China's 5,000 year history of designs on conquest. Stephen, pick up the story there. We'd like to think that they've just kind of recently stumbled into all this money because of the greediness of America and these great trade deals. But far less of this expansion has happened by accident than on purpose. Am I right? Well, you're you're absolutely right. And, you know, until 1820, uh, China had the largest economy, the largest population, and the largest military in the world. And it had held that position for most of the previous 2,000 years. So, you know, China has always regarded itself as the Middle Kingdom. In fact, the, the, the very name of the country con- is composed of two characters, Zhongguo, uh, which means the kingdom in the middle, the kingdom at the center of the earth. And that's how China regards itself, uh, the, the kingdom, the empire in the center of the earth. The map is centered on China, and it's surrounded by vassal tributary states, uh, that uh, that do what do what China wants them to do, uh, otherwise they suffer you know invasion and incursion. So that's the that's the role that China has always played in Asia, and that's the role now that it would like to play in the entire world. Uh, China would like to replace us as the dominant power in the world, as the hegemon, as it were, and and call the shots not just in East Asia but in in South Asia, in Africa, in Europe, and and uh, of course in our hemisphere as well so that's that's the goal now i 
love the Chinese people. I spent years, 10 years, living in Asia, living in China. I lived in Taiwan, Hong Kong, lived in Japan for a while. I visited Korea many times. I was with the 7th Fleet um, a long time ago as, a, as an officer. Um, but, but the Chinese government uh, is, is an appalling piece of work. Uh, we have a Chinese party state now that describes its official ideology as socialism with Chinese characteristics. Now, the Chinese characteristics in question are a kind of hyper-nationalism, kind of super-patriotism, uh, a kind of xenophobia where the Chinese, because of their history and culture, are, regard themselves as naturally superior to everybody else. So it's nationalism run amok. So what do we have? We have socialism with hyper-nationalism. Let's reverse those words. We have national socialism in China. Now, we've had a problem in the last century with national socialism, and I'm afraid we have another one today. Yeah, and unfortunately, while the level of aggressiveness might not be metered out in the form and fashion in which the last problem we had with National Socialism presented itself, uh, nevertheless, the overall goal of ultimate world denomination seems to be uh, uh, not diminished at all. And In fact, there, there might perhaps be some confusion here to listeners who are thinking, well, wait a minute now, you know, China has all the natural resources, all the human resources. It makes sense that it would serve as a, a world trade uh, domin a dominant nation, if not the, the, the biggest denominator in, in that. But the fact of the matter is this sense of world domination is not limited strictly to world trade, is it? Well, no, and I mean, uh, look, if China were a free market democracy, uh, we would be best friends, uh, just as we are good friends with uh, with New Zealand, Australia, uh, Japan, South Korea, India, the the free market democracies of, of the Asian Pacific. Uh, but they're not. Uh, they're a one-party dictatorship, and a world dominated by China would look very different than the world that we live in today. It would be less democratic, less free, less safe, not only for Americans but also for Japanese, Koreans, Taiwanese, uh, for virtually everybody, including uh, the Chinese people themselves. So, uh, you know, let's make no mistake about the fact that we, we don't have a, a problem with the Chinese people. We have a problem with the, the dictatorship, the tiny uh, elite uh, that runs the country, that is the wealthiest uh, um, elite in, in, in the world. I mean, most of the Communist Party leaders have become uh, not multimillionaires, but some of them in, in, in many cases have become billionaires by, by exploiting uh, the workers that work in their factories, by preventing the workers from uh, organizing labor unions and striking and engaging in work slowdowns. Uh, those sorts of things happen in China all the time. They're met with the police or with deadly force. So uh, the workers in China, again, are, are, are not free uh, to choose their own destiny. They're working for a, a tiny party elite that uh, that has uh, designs not just on China, but on larger parts of the world. And I think also for the sake of listeners that it needs to be um, clearly spelled out that not only does the United States not have a problem with the Chinese people, but rather Chinese officials, the Chinese government, we're not alone in that, that in fact the people of China themselves have a problem with their government in Beijing that controls the press, freedom of speech, freedom of religion. Um, in fact, uh, there are very little aspects of Chinese life that are not influenced, if not outright dictated upon, by Beijing. And sadly, the picture that we see on the outside uh, looking in of China is very different from the inside looking out, is it not? 
Well, uh, China is spending, uh, you know, billions and billions of dollars on an effort to improve its image around the world, and uh, by setting up Confucius in- institutes at American universities, by buying radio and television stations in the United States and other other countries around the world to broadcast uh, a propaganda favorable to the Chinese Party state. But look, the the Chinese Communist Party, and that's what it still calls itself, uh, has has uh, eliminated 400 million of its own unborn citizens in the one-child policy over the last 35 years. So any any party state that's willing to eliminate hundreds of millions of its own unborn citizens will stop at nothing to achieve its goals. We, we see in China crosses currently being ripped off the top of churches because uh, they don't want Christianity be, to become too obvious to the mass of the Chinese public. Home church leaders are being arrested and in some cases tortured. Uh, the Chinese party state runs, runs secret jails called black jails, which don't exist. Uh, publicly, but where people can be held incommunicado and treated badly for weeks or months uh, at a time. Um, Catholics have been warned not to bring their own children to Mass. Christians have been told that they are forbidden to teach their children the faith uh, because there is a law in China saying that you cannot uh, talk about your Christian faith to anyone under the age of 16. It's always been on the books, but it's now being enforced again. Uh, It's illegal, uh, as of last year, to homeschool your own children because that would interfere with the party's plan to educate them into, into good little atheists. Um, you know, so, so that, this is what we have in, in, uh, in, in China today. Um, of course, we have many Christians in that country. Uh, there is a spiritual hunger in that country because of, of uh, you know, 60 years of, of atheism has left a, an emptiness at the heart of, uh, of, uh, of China. Uh, but nonetheless, the Communist Party is officially atheistic, and if you are a Christian, if you're Catholic, uh, you cannot join the military, you cannot join the Communist Party, and you can't hold any sensitive government positions because they don't trust you. So there is persecution of people for exercising their right, their natural right, their God-given right to freedom of conscience. How, how did this country that barely two generations ago was so horrifically backwards, and I'm, I'm referring in specific to the tenure under Mao and things like the Cultural Revolution, make this so-called giant leap forward from as backwards as it was, you know, at the same time that Kennedy was in office, to where it is today? Well, look, um, I think two things have, have happened here. First of all, the Chinese people themselves are, 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 are uh, you know, among the most talented, uh, hardworking people on the planet. Uh, secondly, uh, the Chinese government is entirely uh, devoid of, uh, of, of, of ethics. Uh, they have cheated on every agreement they've ever signed. Uh, they have violated every treaty that they've ever entered into. Uh, they violate these things with, with impunity, and they don't look back. Um, the, our major strategic error uh, 20 years ago, 18 years ago now, was letting China into the World Trade Organization on the promise that they would open their economy, open their markets to American-made goods, and we promised to open ours to theirs. Well, we kept our end of the bargain, and China cheated. China has kept large sectors of its economy protected, uh, it has invited in Fortune 500 companies, squeezed them dry of technology and capital, and then squeezed them back out of the country and started producing the same goods with uh, stolen intellectual property uh, and selling them back to, to, to the United States. So uh, this, this has been going on. The forced transfer of trillions of dollars of wealth and technology 
and intellectual property has been 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 going on now for 20 years. Uh, we've paid a heavy price for that. I, I I call it an economic hate crime against the American people, and it's driven by a desire of the Chinese leadership to be to be number one. And and you know unless we stop what has been going on, uh, I mean the FBI estimates there's a, a 600 billion dollars in intellectual property stolen every year from the United States by China. $600 billion is real money. We've got a $485 billion trade deficit with China. That's real money as well. So that's at least a trillion dollars in wealth leaving our shores every year because uh, the Chinese government does not keep its word. It regards America as as weak. It regards America as as a power in decline and has been taking advantage of us in every way possible. And ironically, it's happy to allow its lapdog neighbor, North Korea, take the blame for all kinds of ills, uh, including the cyber war against the United States, Uh, certainly the effort toward the breach into uh, Sony, which is owned by one of its historical enemies, Japan, looks very suspicious, and you have to wonder whether or not they've got traces of their fingerprints all over the Equifax breach as well. We'll take a time out, come back to some closing comments in this segment of the program. We are visiting with China expert, best-selling author Stephen Mosher. The book is called Bully of Asia, Why China's Dream is the New Threat to World Order. The book, by the way, as we mentioned, is newly released by Regnery Press. You can get it online. Uh, go to the usual suspects, Amazon.com, also available at uh, Bay Area bookstores or through Regnery at Regnery.com. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our conversation with China expert Stephen Mosher as this edition of Lifeline continues. Right now, though, we step aside for an update <coughs> Pardon me, on traffic. And Trent Chase has got the latest in the KFAX Traffic Center. Trent? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Pulling the the cover of misinformation back on communist China, and often on this program, if you've been a long-term listener, you know that we have a love for the Chinese people. We've done a lot in terms of ministering to uh, China over the years, been there myself half a dozen times, um, been engaged in campaigns to help stand behind and support those who are persecuted in China because of their faith. All of that said, I'm careful to always remind you that it is communist China. And the operative word is to understand communism and all of the implications, uh, loss of freedom of the press, non-existence of freedom of speech, certainly no freedom of religion. Some of the other challenges, though, that we are facing in terms of um, the West relationship and more specifically the United States relationship with China, and that is that there are ways in which it can very quietly and almost unobtrusively slip the proverbial pebble in our shoe, whether it's ongoing nuclear proliferation concerns with its neighbor, North Korea, that it enjoys us getting caught up over, or maybe even subtle things like I have to wonder, Stephen, in your opinion, whether or not such events such as the the Sony breach or Equifax, I know that it's easy for us to say that a bunch of nefarious uh, geeks in Pyongyang are behind all of that, but, you know, Pyongyang wouldn't have access to the Internet if it didn't flow through China. Yeah, it, it, it really it really wouldn't. And and uh, China may place some servers in North Korea uh, to to disguise its cyber attacks in that way and, and point a finger at its uh, its uh, its neighbor. Uh, North Korea is a is a dirt poor um, uh, police state. 
and the people are literally starving. Uh, the, the UN uh, actually estimates that uh, three quarters, uh, well, two thirds of the population are on rations, short rations, all the time in North Korea out of a population of 25 million, and and about one third of the population is literally starving. They're malnourished to the point where they're starving. So this is a, a country that can't even feed itself, and so you have to sit back and wonder how are they able to accomplish uh, the kinds of things that we hear about, the cyber attacks, the, uh, the nuclear weapons, the nuclear power plant, the missiles. The missiles should have stenciled on their sides, assembled in North Korea using Chinese components, because that's, uh, that's, that's, that's all you've got in North Korea is an assembly line, putting together parts and pieces that are imported from, from other countries. Um, China's military now has a fourth branch. It has an Army, Navy, and Air Force, as we do, but then it has a cyber war branch. So this dates back now about eight years. So we see that, that China has gotten very serious about its ongoing uh, cyber attacks uh, against the United States and, and other Western countries. Uh, it stops just short of, of, of open warfare. It operates in a gray area where, you know, it, these aren't kinetic attacks. Obviously, things aren't blowing up, but... but um, but the effect is to gradually advance China's interest and to gradually force force us back. Here's a big question. You made a reference earlier to our last big fight against National Socialism, and in that case, we found it um, outright impossible to stop short of full-on war. Is the same thing true in this case, or don't we hold a very important set of cards here? And, and forgive me, Stephen, if I'm demonstrating a tremendous degree of naivete, but it would seem to me that the one thing that has been the economic um, salvation of China, and that has been its trade relationship with largely principally the United States, it would seem to me that we hold the cards. Can't we just sit down with them and say, look, guys, we know what you're up to. We know what the intents are. We know that you're behind uh, North Korea, or at least you're allowing it to continue. So we got a deal. You either make them stop or our trade relationship is over. Wouldn't that bring uh, to a degree the economy of China to its knees? Uh, yeah, it would. I mean, my, my advice to President Trump, if you want to disarm North Korea, sanction China, because if you put sufficient pressure on China, uh, I believe that uh, that uh, Kim Jong-un uh, would join his his uh, father and grandfather in the Kim Dynasty tomb outside of Pyongyang very shortly, and, and, and China would find a more malleable puppet to put on the uh, on the, uh, the throne of its little tributary state, North Korea. But, you know, make, make no mistake about it, you know, when, when uh, the Anschluss happened, uh, where Germany annexed Austria. Um, uh, something comparable is happening in the South China Sea. Uh, China has annexed this huge sea, the size of the Caribbean, and declared that it owns everything. Um, and of course, there are six other countries: uh, the Philippines, Vietnam, Malaysia, Brunei, Indonesia. All of all of them have territorial claims to part of the sea. China said, "No, no, no." Uh, even though the sea is a thousand miles away from our shore at its furth furthest extent, we own it, and uh, we're going to build. We're going to take a sandbar which is underwater at high tide. And we're going to pour thousands, tens of thousands of tons of concrete on top. We're going to build military runways, uh, put in place surface-to-air missiles, build a harbor for our military vessels, uh, put on radar, radar installations, and uh, we're going to use it as a military base and claim everything to the horizon. 
this is an amazingly aggressive thing to do. In, in saner times, it would be an act of war. You can't just go into the open ocean and, and, and build a, a, effectively a floating military base and say, we own that ocean. And yet that's exactly what, what China has done. Almost China sounds like they're taking a, a page out of the playbook of its, um, of its enemy, uh, Japan. Well, uh, the, the greater East Asian pro-prosperity sphere uh, that Japan wanted to set up, of course, did not survive. But China is trying to set up a greater Eurasian co-prosperity sphere through its uh, New Silk Road initiative, One Belt, or one, one Road, where it is constructing rail lines and ports and, and roads all throughout Eurasia, hoping to tie the whole Eurasian economy from Europe all the way to China into China's, um, into China's nexus. But what I was about to say was the China is not invulnerable. It has an aging population because of the one-child policy. It has now a labor shortage. Uh, how do you get a labor shortage in the most populous country on Earth? Well, you have to work very hard at it by imposing a one-child policy. It has a national debt that, that makes ours look minor. Uh, their debt uh, is probably 300% of their gross domestic product. So that's a bubble that, uh, that, that I think could burst and could burst soon. So, yeah, we have some, we have some leverage over them. And, and we ought to be using it because this uh, this country does not wish us well. Uh, I'm, you know, I, I, I believe we should put America first. I think America has been a force of good in the world. And uh, putting America first means keeping America first. We've been, uh, we planted the seeds of democracy wherever we've gone. Uh, sometimes they've sprouted and flourished. Other times they haven't. But in general, we've been, we've been a force for good. I'm afraid the Chinese party state would be the opposite. And, you know, the irony is you mentioned the Anschluss, and ironically, uh, as much of that annexation took place, and I think, too, of uh, the the Germans you know, marching into the Rhine, even though, or across the Rhine, mm-hmm. even though the Treaty of Versailles forbade it, and there was much that could have been done if just there had been somebody standing on the other side of the border saying, hey, wait a minute, not so fast. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. the Allies in Europe waited, and they waited, and they waited, and nobody wanted to get involved, and by the time they wanted to get involved... Poland was happening, and I hope that we will have enough brains to not let that happen here. Not suggesting for a moment that we need to start saber-rattling and go to war with uh, Beijing, but we can certainly draw a line in the sand, although sometimes that line can move because of the wind. Maybe not do that. Maybe we need to draw a line in the concrete and say to communist China, we know what you're up to, and we're not going to let you get away with it. Well, China's neighbors are all alarmed. Uh, Japan and South Korea uh, are building up their military. Taiwan under a free and democratic government. First time in 5,000 years of Chinese history that a Chinese people have freely and openly elected a democratic government for uh, presidential elections now in the stable democracy. Um, the Philippines, uh, New Zealand, Australia, India, the biggest uh, democracy in the world, shares our values and institutions. All these countries want to work more closely with us. And we should be helping them to defend themselves. 
And a high time we wake up and smell the cocoa, as the saying goes. It is a very compelling book. It is a book that is an eye-opener from one of the most um, profound experts on China that um, is writing books today. He is Stephen Mosher. The book is called Bully of Asia, Why China's Dream is the Threat to World Order. Again, this book, and you can grab it up for Christmas shopping right now. Regnery Press is its publisher and available through the usual suspects as well as um, Amazon.com. Thanks to uh, Stephen Mosher for being with us. Some great insights, if not alarming ones, to be sure. Six o'clock from KFAX. Let's see how alarming traffic is. We get an update for you now. Trent Chase in the KFAX Traffic Center. Trent. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.